Laudator Jesus Christus, Vatican and World News. In the headlines, this Saturday, February 24th, Ukraine marks the second anniversary of the full-scale invasion by Russia. Six religious brothers and a priest have been kidnapped in Haiti, and the United Nations warns of human rights abuses by all parties in Sudan's ongoing civil strife. In the Vatican, I'm Christopher Wells. At the top of the news today, a brief note from the Vatican. Pope Francis canceled his engagements on Saturday morning due to a mild flu-like condition. That's according to an announcement from the Holy See Press Office, which indicated that the decision was taken as a precautionary measure. The Holy Father spent last week taking part in the Lenten spiritual exercises, a period of the liturgical year set aside for prayer and recollection. Pope Francis has emphasized the importance of a personal experience of the annual spiritual exercises, both for himself and for his collaborators in the Roman Curia. During the past week, all of the pontiff's engagements were suspended, including Wednesday's general audience. Papal appointments had been scheduled to resume on Saturday. Meanwhile, in world news, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky welcomed Western leaders to Kiev on Saturday to mark the second anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. That comes amid concerns that Ukrainian forces have been running low on ammunition and weaponry to withstand Russia's army. As Stefan Boss reports, the Western leaders pledged their unwavering support to war-torn Ukraine, despite questions over how and when the war will come to an end. On the windy Hostomel airfield northwest of the capital, Kiev, Western leaders try to give encouraging words. But Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky appeared exhausted as his nation entered its third year of war with a mighty Russian military. Many thousands are believed to have given their lives in the battle for Avdivka, a ruined strategic city in the east from where the remaining Ukrainian troops were forced to withdraw. And if it's up to Russian President Vladimir Putin, he will continue his fight, bringing the war closer to other cities, including the capital, Kiev. The war is believed to have killed and injured hundreds of thousands of people, wiping out generations for whom life had just begun. Yet the president of the European Union's executive, European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, pledged that the West would not forget Ukraine, despite armed conflicts elsewhere in the world, including in Gaza. So however difficult is it today... We're here to tell you that Europe will continue to stand at your side for as long as it takes, with more financial support, more ammunition, more training for your troops, more air defenses, and more investment in Europe's and Ukraine's defense industries. While new sanctions against Russia were announced by both the EU and the United States, tensions are emerging among allies as to how long the war can continue. And as the war enters its third year, new divisions are emerging in Ukrainian society between those who fought and those who did not, between those who left and those who stayed, those who have lived under Russian occupation and those who have not. 
Ukrainian President Zelensky will now face an uphill battle to keep his nation and its allies united in a war that seems far from over. For Vatican Radio, I am Stefan Bos, reporting. As Russia's war in Ukraine enters its third year, Patrick Kelly, the Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, shared with Vatican Radio how his organization is continuing to provide humanitarian assistance for refugees and others suffering from the war. I've been to Ukraine twice. Uh, the first time was in 2022, and it was during Holy Week. What what I did is I, I had a meeting with Pope Francis before I went, and he blessed Easter care packages, care packages that we we were delivering to people in Ukraine. So after my meeting with the Holy Father, I went to Ukraine, and um, it was amazing to be there, to go to the Knights of Columbus Mercy Centers, which we established along the border. So these, these Mercy Centers were uh, established to help refugees crossing the border from Ukraine into Poland. And they provided them with with warmth, with food, with some medical attention, and also spiritual attention, uh, an opportunity to talk to people, talk to a counselor, to have mass. And and so we feel like this was very important for the Knights of Columbus to do this. Those were in the early days of the war. Now what we're doing is, is we have charity convoys that we have set up. So we have we have semi trucks that go from Poland into Ukraine twice a week. And we've been doing that for 95 weeks now. So so we're we're continuing this work to deliver humanitarian aid uh, to people in Ukraine. And we've we've delivered 250,000 care packages to those who are to, who are suffering. So on a human level, um, we're doing what we can. It is a, it is it is a real uh, there is a real suffering. And then and I could tell you, Father, the times I've been there, I've had some really amazing interactions with people uh, who 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 are there who are suffering under this tragedy. That was Patrick Kelly, the Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus. Continuing in world news, amid ever-increasing gang violence in Haiti, six Catholic religious men and a priest were kidnapped on Friday in the Haitian capital, Port-au-Prince. That's according to local church sources. The abduction is the latest in a long string of kidnappings in Haiti, which has been in the grip of violence by various criminal gangs vying for control of the territory. Lisa Sangarini has this report. The six religious belonging to the Congregation of the Brothers of the Sacred Heart were abducted on Friday morning by an armed group as they travelled to the École Jean Ventrois in downtown Port-au-Prince. The Catholic school is the only one still operating in the high-risk area of the Haitian capital. On the same day, a priest who had just celebrated Mass in a church in the city's Bicentenaire district was also kidnapped. In a statement, religious men and women in Haiti urged for the immediate release of the hostages and an end to insecurity in the country, which has long been in the grip of gang violence. The abductions are the latest in a long string of kidnappings and come just a month after the release of six nuns who had been abducted by gunmen six days earlier. 
gang warfare has dramatically increased in the Caribbean nation since the assassination of President Jovenel Moise in July 2021. The killing worsened criminal control in Haiti, and today innocent people are regularly killed, raped, and held for ransom. Gang feuds don't spare even church personnel, as shown by the explosion that on January the 28th injured Bishop Pierre-André Dumas, the vice president of the Haitian bishops. According to local church sources, his health conditions are now improving. The UN reported that January 2024 was the bloodiest month in over two years, with at least 1,100 people killed, injured or kidnapped. In recent days, major Haitian cities have experienced further unrest during opposition-led protests demanding the resignation of interim Prime Minister Ariel Henry, who was supposed to hold elections on February the 7th. I am Lisa Zingarini. In Africa, the people of Sudan continue to face a dire humanitarian crisis. According to a recently issued UN report, Sudan's warring parties have committed numerous human rights abuses, including strikes on fleeing civilians. Deborah Castellano-Lubov has this report. According to the UN Human Rights Office on Friday, both sides in Sudan's civil war have committed abuses that may amount to war crimes, including indiscriminate attacks on civilian sites like hospitals, markets, and even camps for the displaced. Efforts so far have failed to end the 10-month-old conflict that pits Sudan's regular armed forces and the paramilitary rapid support forces. Thousands of people have been killed and some 8 million forced to flee their homes, making it the country with the largest displaced population in the world. Some of these violations would amount to war crimes, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights said in a statement accompanying the report. The guns must be silenced, he said, and civilians must be protected. Separate from the report, which investigates incidents through to December, The commissioner's office said on Friday that it had reviewed credible, though unconfirmed, video evidence appearing to show soldiers in army uniforms parading with decapitated heads of perceived RSF supporters while chanting ethnic slurs. Sudan's army said that the footage was shocking and that it would investigate. A UN rights spokesperson said that the high commissioner's office would follow up with the Sudanese authorities on the progress of the investigation. The U.S. has already formally determined that the warring parties have committed war crimes and said the RSF and allied militias were involved in ethnic cleansing in West Darfur. Both sides have said they would investigate reports of killings and abuses and prosecute any fighters found to be involved. The United Nations report is based on interviews with over 300 victims and witnesses as well as footage and satellite imagery. It says that sometimes those fleeing for their lives or displaced by the violence became victims of explosive weapons attacks. In one incident, dozens of displaced people were killed when their camp in Zalinge, Darfur, was shelled in September, while on the 22nd of August, some 26 civilians, mostly women and children, were killed by shells reportedly fired by the Sudanese armed forces while sheltering under a bridge. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Finally, an Israeli official has reportedly said that talks in France over a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas conflict have been productive. With the latest from the region, here's Nathan Morley. 
The Israeli mission, which was headed by Mossad intelligence agency chief David Barnier, returned to Israel on Saturday morning. According to local media, progress was achieved in the negotiations, which were brokered by Qatari and U.S. envoys. However, Israel Television also reported that more work was needed to try and bridge gaps between Israel and Hamas. It's now understood that the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's cabinet are expected to receive an update on the results later on Saturday. Earlier in the day, the Gaza Health Ministry reported that the Palestinian death toll from rolling Israeli attacks in Gaza had risen to 29,606. Furthermore, the Hamas-run media office claimed that 132 Palestinian journalists had been killed by the Israeli army since the conflict erupted late last year. On Friday, the Palestinian Foreign Ministry rejected Benjamin Netanyahu's post-war plan for Gaza, in which he called for a tightening of Israel's security grip on the enclave. Mr. Netanyahu said the strategy involved a continuous military presence in Gaza and the replacement of Hamas. The document, which was presented to members of his security team, sketches principles regarding the management of the Gaza Strip when the war ends. As far as possible, the civil administration and public order duties would fall to locals with administrative experience. The reconstruction of the enclave, which has been battered by months of airstrikes, would commence only after the demilitarization and de-radicalization of the zone. Meanwhile, the Palestinian Foreign Ministry has urged Washington and the international community to recognize the Palestinian state and push for its full membership of the United Nations. For Vatican Radio, this is Nathan Morley reporting. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Vatican and World News. For more on these and other stories, we invite you to visit our website at www.vaticannews.va. Many thanks to our sound engineers in studio in the Vatican. I'm Christopher Wells.